Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through the Lawyerist Lab and Accelerator. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast host. I'm Kelly Street. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 305 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, Laura's talking with Sarah Abraham about the key to unlocking fulfillment at work and how you can easily boost the performance of your employees. Today's podcast is brought to you by Lex Reception, Text Expander, Back Office Betties, and LawPay. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. So stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So Kelly, today I thought we'd talk about something that may not seem very glamorous, but it's super important. (laughs) And that is workspace and desks specifically, because I will confess that right now I'm in a temporary location and I'm working off a banquet table with a tablecloth and it's not nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that uh, I'm guessing that your productivity is down a bit working at that banquet table plus tablecloth situation. Yeah. And so, I mean, you've done some remote work coaching and it seems like such the obvious thing. But, you know, with so many people being remote now, it sounds like you're still hearing that people are working from kitchen tables or, you know, wherever. I don't know. What are you hearing? Yes. Yeah. And sorry, Stephanie, didn't mean to call it your productivity. You work way harder than (laughs) everybody else in the world. Anyway. um, But yeah, desk situations are so important in getting your workspace set up. Um, Working at your kitchen table, you know, five months ago, was still something that we were all dealing with. And, but now, you know, eight months into COVID and working from home, or maybe even more than eight months in, you know, it's really time to get your workspace set up and be in a place that feels comfortable, allows you to really dig into your work every day and have that focus time. And, you know, maybe it does include kids doing their own work in the background. And that's great. That's fine. But make sure your workspace is set up so you can be the most productive for you. Yeah. And I mean, your kids need a good workspace too, right? Like don't forget them. If they're doing school from home, they are going to work better if they have a dedicated workspace. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about this for your own bedroom or for the living room in your house. When you walk in, you want a space that feels comfortable, that feels like you and your desk needs to be the same way. You know, I have a custom pen holder that an old boss made me who was a glass blower on the side. And I have this really cute little unicorn lamp that I have that just makes me smile when I look at it. And my backdrop is really, if you take the whole room into perspective, it looks a little weird because I have all these pictures in just one spot. But on video, it looks great. And so um, I have all of these little things that are just really tweaked to make my workspace the most special for me and make me happy, even though 
I'm working from home and my kid is doing their school in the next room and we're all on Zoom calls in the house and all of the frustrating things that can happen from working from home and good things. Um, but just making making sure your space is really for you to be productive, um, is a place you want to go every day and a place that also looks good and is um, organized to the point of organization that you prefer. I love those tips. And I can attest that your background does look great on video. And, and that's important because you need to project like the brand and image of your company and, you know, whatever it is, if you're meeting with clients or potential clients on video, your background matters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Having a pile of dirty laundry in the background, you know, some clients may not care. They may go, Oh my gosh, you're a human. And so if, if that's something that bonds you to your clients, great. I know for me, I just wouldn't feel ready for the day. And so I try to keep my workspace publicly presentable. I'll yeah. Say. I love that you incorporated like things that matter to you. I remember at some point in my legal career, I was like, you know what? I am not going to hang up my diplomas in my office because they're not very pretty. <laughs> Let's face it. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, I, and I paid a lot of money back in the day to get them framed or maybe my dad helps. So if he's listening, sorry, but I was like, you know what? I want to look at things that are, are pleasing for me to see. And then I was thinking, I shared this with you the other day that at some point I actually had a, a local florist like I set it up when I was still practicing law that I had flowers delivered to my office. I think, yes. yeah, I think every yep. other week. And then I was just looking, I was so excited. So I don't know if somebody, you know, Facebook was listening. We don't have to have that debate today, but I've been, maybe because <laughs> I saw something, I clicked on it. I just saw a new subscription service that they're doing that now. And they're using flowers that have kind of gotten discarded or one company was if there was an event like a wedding or a banquet where flowers were just getting used for a few hours, they repurpose that and they'll just ship them to your house. Oh my gosh. I need that service. I Whatever know. it is. I you find it, you go to your Facebook, find the ad, tell them Kelly is the prime person to get this. But anyway, I thought of you. I <laughs> know I thought of you. I was like, I'm sending this to you or, you know, like, or maybe I'll just gift it. To, I was like, our team needs this. But there is something really, it was really nice to have these fresh flowers on my desk. And then I would come into work and I just, it just felt good. Right. Yeah. And so it's okay to, and that was an investment I made in myself. And I justified that those funds. And honestly, with the local florists and these services that I found this week do this too, they just say if you recycle the vase or you use your own vase, they don't charge you for it. And so you're able to even get it at a lesser price and you don't feel like that's wasteful. You know, it's just better for the environment. So, yeah. So you need a productive space. You need an effective space. But you also need a space that you enjoy walking into every day. Yes. Wholeheartedly agree. Just makes the workday go a little bit better, a little bit easier if you actually want to look at the things that are in the room with you. Yeah. And if you're really interested in that flower subscription, um, if you're listening to this, you know, message me or I'll, I'll find it and send it out to you. Uh, we'll all be getting ourselves flowers for Christmas or the holidays. That sounds awesome. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Brianna from Lex Reception and then Laura's conversation with Sarah. Hey, y'all. This is Zach, the legal tech advisor at Lawyerist, and I'm here with Bree from Lex Reception talking about how virtual receptionists can help you during the holidays or at other times for that matter. Thanks for being with us, Bree. Thanks for having me, Zach. I'm super excited to be here. So a lot of lawyers, myself included, initially think of virtual receptionists as an all-in or all-out solution for their firm, where 
a company like Lex completely takes over incoming communications, which you guys can obviously handle, but you can also act as an extra set of hands or, or as a pressure release as well. And, and I think that's something to keep in mind during the holiday season. How can lawyers use Lex to help them around this time of year? One, make sure that you have someone to answer your calls always, 24-7, 365. As much as it pains me to say this, even if you choose to go the route of a voicemail, make sure you have clear instructions on your recording. If you're going to be out a week, let your callers know that. They're going to want to know when they should expect to hear back from someone. Your phone doesn't just stop ringing because it's a holiday. In fact, for some attorneys that I work with, that means that it rings even more. We see an increase in intakes and scheduling for DUI attorneys during the holidays. Having someone available 24-7 to answer your phones or the web chat or even make that initial outbound call is going to help maximize those leads. So lawyers don't necessarily have to have you guys you know, on all the time. They can just... You know, for example, coming up, they can say, Thanksgiving, I'm going to I'm going to make sure that we have web chat on or I'm going to make sure that I have somebody answering my phones, you know, during that time. And they don't have to have their their own receptionist, you know, handle those things. Right. Correct. You don't. You're in complete control of when you turn us on and when you turn us off. Well, and so I actually I like this this web chat feature. The the thought during the holidays is, you know, somebody is sitting there and they've they've decided to write Timmy out of their will and they they're looking for an attorney and they get online, they get on their phone and they they they're going to get an actual person when they when they contact through one of your services, right? Correct. It's a live person all the time. Um, a lot of times it's good to have, even though it is a web chat, have us do the scripting. So maybe we ask those intake questions. Maybe we're getting them scheduled on your calendar or taking the payment for the consult. And so with, with asking those intake questions, that can actually be even connected directly into a lawyer's CRM intake system. So you guys integrate with Clio Grow, you integrate with Lexicata, Lawmatics, HubSpot, all of these things. And so somebody can just let that go automatically almost. Right. So once we take all that intake information, we get them scheduled on the back end, we'll automatically integrate it to your CRM system. That's great. So somebody could actually wake up, you know, on Monday after the holidays and and they've got some some things scheduled. They've got some some potential clients there, right? Yep. One of my clients, his first weekend with us, um, we ended up converting someone that he would have missed on, you know, the weekend when it went to voicemail. We got them scheduled with that consult and it ended up converting to like a $5,000 case. Oh, well, that's that's great. And, and that'd be, be a shame to miss that. Right. <laughs> and you guys can also do, you know, call routing. And this is something that doesn't necessarily come to mind for me, but you know, you can have people's current uh, clients actually go directly to them or directly to their their assistant. But any intake, any new clients, y'all can actually route through that intake system again, right? We can. So the way that it works is we'll figure out who's calling. If it's a new client calling, maybe we ask a couple intake questions and say, like, one moment, let me see if someone's available and patch them right to your person and they can finalize doing what you need. Or maybe even you, if you're taking those, um, you know, if it's a big, high paying dollar case, maybe you're going to take that and talk to them right away. Versus if it's an existing client, maybe we're just taking a quick message. I like that. I And uh, the lawyer can kind of make the decision of 
how that routing goes, right? Absolutely. We discuss that ahead of time. All scripts are custom. Um, so you'll tell me what you want and we'll build the script based on your needs. Well, this sounds like something that that obviously can help in general times throughout the year, but certainly would be helpful in with the holidays coming up. So what else uh, does Lex have going on? What other exciting news do you guys have going? Well, actually, Zach, I have some very exciting uh, news to tell you about. We just got word on it yesterday. Um, at Lex, we love giving back and we're very passionate about our planet. So for Thanksgiving, we're going to start rolling out our giving back initiative. What that is, is each month we're going to be donating part of our profits to support a different wildlife conservation project. For November, we're rolling out with the Wolf Conservation Center to support their Red Wolf program. It's such an important cause, and we're really excited to work at a company that cares so much about these issues. That's fantastic. That is a, a, a neat little initiative that you guys have going on there. Bree, thanks for talking with me today. And uh, obviously, this is a timely topic. And if people want more information on how Lex can help them specifically, they can go to www.lexreception.com, right? Correct. Great. Awesome. Well, Bree, again, thank you for being with us and I uh, appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Zach. Have a good day. Certainly. Hi, my name is Sarah Aviram. I'm a former corporate HR executive, and I've started my own business helping remote workers to find more fulfillment and motivation in their lives. Yeah, let's start by digging in a little bit more into your remote journey. So I know that in 2019, you worked remotely from 12 different countries in 12 months. So tell us, how did that experience come about? Okay, so this was at the end of 2018. The CEO of my company that I was reporting to at the time asked me to come to him with, what are the trends for 2019? What does the future of work look like? And how should we prepare ourselves as an organization to compete for talent? So I did my research on that. And of the four trends that I brought to him, the main one was around remote work. As I'm sure you know, more and more companies were establishing themselves as remote first. Um, so 100% remote, no offices in any locations. On the other hand, there was many people identifying as freelancers and small business owners and consultants that wanted the flexibility and independence to work from anywhere. So this trend was growing and I knew that our organization needed to provide that flexibility to employees in order to get the best talent that might not be located near our principal office. And so I brought this trend to him and the CEO agreed that that's where things were going. And if we as an organization could offer a benefit of that kind of flexibility that our employees could truly work from anywhere, we would be able to get the best talent. So that's when I pitched to him, well, I'd love to experiment with that and see what are the challenges and the opportunities of really working from anywhere in the world. And I actually came across this program called Remote Year. And they're not a job provider, but they facilitate the ability for people to really work from anywhere in the world. And you sign up for a specific itinerary and they provide in that city, each city you'll be traveling to, they provide a co-working space, an apartment, your travel logistics. So everything I needed and a community of people you're traveling with. So everything I needed to successfully work remotely for one year. 
So I pitched this idea to my CEO and to my um, happy surprise, he said I could go for it. And a couple months later, I was on a one-way flight to Lima, Peru for my first month. That is fascinating. And what a great idea. It feels like you were (laughs) really ahead of the curve there, like accurately calling, hey, this is one of the biggest trends that's going to happen. And I feel like Mm -hmm. it still would have happened even without the pandemic. I think the pandemic just kind of accelerated people realizing, do I really need local employees? Do I really need a physical office? What did you learn about remote working and workers during that year? Yeah, what was so interesting, I was meeting all these remote workers, many of whom I traveled with from country to country and worked alongside. What I found when I started to work alongside these people in different countries, all these remote workers, was that despite the freedom and flexibility that they finally had um, in their ability to work remotely, they were still actually quite dissatisfied with their work because working remotely didn't solve all the challenges that they faced at work. They still didn't feel as fulfilled or as motivated as they wanted to. So even though doing their work from maybe the beach in Bali sounds wonderful, if you don't like the work itself and the work itself is not your motivation, then doing it in a nice environment is really not going to help or having a flexibility is not going to help as much as you'd like it to. So I realized that I had this opportunity to help these remote workers understand what I knew from my career in HR, what I knew about motivation and performance and what helps us to perform at our best. And I felt that there was an opportunity to educate them on how they could feel more motivated in their job and then also have that flexibility to do it remotely. That feels like a really important distinction that this isn't the cure-all for other aspects of your job where you're not connected or maybe you don't like the culture or you don't love the role that you're in because remote isn't going to fix that. It seems like it might help, you know, it might make for a better experience as an employee if those elements are already in place and you already feel really connected and really just want the freedom and flexibility What's the common thread for people who seem to be the most fulfilled and motivated in their work, since that's the core feature here of when is remote work going to be most effective? Exactly. So I started to interview all these remote workers and I did surveys. And over the course of a few months, probably talked to about 200 people between surveys and focus groups and interviews. And what I realized is that I narrowed it down to six core drivers of our decisions around our career and what motivates us to really perform at our best and feel fulfilled. And those are money, identity, routines, growth, impact, and joy. And so essentially, these are the core themes, the high-level themes that drive our decision-making around our career and how happy and fulfilled we feel. So our you know, feelings around money, you know, it's, it's money is a reason to work um, because we want to satisfy a specific financial need or desire. When we're motivated by identity, it's because we have an emotional connection to what that work or job means about who we are and who we want to be or what we value. Routines, that's when we work because we sometimes unconsciously are acting out maybe a series of patterns or habits we once created. We're kind of like, well, I'm doing this job because I did it yesterday and I'm actually not sure why I'm still doing it. Um, And then we have growth and growth is when we work because the work is allowing us to develop skills or have experiences that contribute to our development. The fifth one is impact. And that's when we work because we feel our work provides value that we believe is important. And then finally, joy. Joy is when we work because we love the work itself. 
the work is its own reward. It's enjoyable, creative. It allows us to be innovative. It challenges us in the best ways. So I really narrowed it down to those six core motivators. And I found that the common thread among people that were motivated and feeling good was that they learned how to manage and activate each of these six motivators to their benefit while others had not. Mm, Can you give an example of maybe you think about these six motivators and you're thinking, how do I activate it? Can you give an example of what that might look like? Sure, absolutely. So uh, let's start with, I'll pick impact. So a lot of times when we're not feeling so motivated in our work or not driven to perform at our best, it's because we're not connected to the impact that our work is having. And we don't need to work in life-saving industries or create life-saving products in order to feel like we're making a difference. All we need is to understand more context of what is the value that our work is providing to other people? What is the benefit? Um, And we, you know, we may not think that that's important to us. We may be driven by other things, but at our core, you know, we want to feel like our work is serving a purpose that it's, or that it's aligned with our values, that it's, you know, providing some value to other people in some way. And so sometimes if we haven't taken the time lately to understand what is the impact I want to have, who am I serving? How am I providing value to them? Asking your boss or your manager, whoever, um, hey, remember I put that you know presentation together and it kind of got sent to someone and I never heard about it. You know, I spent three weeks doing that. How did it go? What was the impact? What was the value? You know, kind of connecting to that. So, um, in my book, I walk people through like what are the questions you should be asking others or yourself to understand the impact that you're making. And when you can connect to that impact, you feel so much more proud of yourself. You feel more connected to your work. You feel more motivated to perform at your best. That's a great example. I know one of the challenges that we have experienced as a remote team, this topic came up at our last team retreat. We were kind of talking about you know, when you're in an office with somebody, you get to know them a little bit just because you see their general moods throughout the day. You know what's a bad day for them. You know what's a good day for them. You know what their pet peeves are. And so if I walk by the cubicle of a coworker that I've known for six months because I see them every day, I'm going to be able to tell when they're having a really rough day, like, right, unless they're really good at hiding it. Whereas on a remote team, when you're working with a bunch of people in different locations, we may only see each other on video maybe once a day for one meeting or a couple of times a day on video. It feels like it's easier to kind of shield when things aren't, um, they're not as easy to spot, right? So I had a question around, how do we tell when a worker is disengaged? It's a great question. And I would say there's three different ways to tell, and these are applicable whether you're remote or in person. So the first one is there's simply a decline in that person's performance. So they might be missing deadlines. There might be errors in their work. There's a lack of initiative that you see that maybe they formerly had and that they're not really taking that initiative that you used to see in them before. So certainly performance is the main thing to look at. The second one would be poor communication. So this might be not keeping important stakeholders in the loop about you know, progress in their work or updates on how a certain um, project is progressing or not progressing. And the third one would be noticing a kind of apathetic approach or complacency in their work. And this might show up in the form of lack of good questioning and follow-up, a lack of interest in learning more and educating themselves, 
uh, a lack of curiosity in kind of digging deeper and growing their skills or asking the right questions. So those are the kind of three main things that would come up and that you might notice even if that person was working remotely. I love those tips. I think one of the challenges that we really face kind of today is this idea of when your work and your home are the same place, whether by choice or because of world changes like the pandemic, as a manager or leader of an organization, how much do you dig in to figure out is the disconnect around their job or is it something maybe personal that's going on? It's maybe the way they're internalizing all of the chaos that 2020 has been. I know that's probably a, a big gray area, but how much do you kind of dig into it to try to figure out and learn a little bit more in that situation? It's so important to do that. There is so much going on in the world right now that people are processing differently. For some, they can compartmentalize it and it does not impact their work. And for some, it weighs heavily on them and certainly does impact their focus, their mood, and their work product. I think the key is to assume positive intent and really ask the question. And don't assume because someone maybe works differently than you, they might not be engaged or they're not working hard. So the key is to really ask the question and say, what are the obstacles that might be getting in the way of you performing at your best here? Or are there obstacles that are getting in the way of you performing at your best here? You know, some are dealing with interruptions with their kids at home that might not be in school. Others might be dealing with, you know, loneliness, working from home alone all day, um, stress of the election, could be so many things. And so the key is to ask, are there obstacles getting in the way and how can we support you and what those challenges might be? And it could be simple, just asking the question makes the person feel like, they're being supported, but there could be an easy solves. Like maybe it's a slight adjustment of that person's work hours. Um, like they can only take meetings in the morning because they have to pick up their kids from school at three o'clock because there's no bus or, you know, something like that. Um, so those questions are important to have and um, to ensure that we're focusing on the three of the motivators I spoke about earlier, the joy, impact, and growth. So asking them, um, you know, what kind of work do you love doing? How can we ensure that there are more opportunities for you to do more of that kind of work? Like giving them the context, understand the impact that their work is making. So they reconnect with their work and re-engage with it. And then growth, talk about the skills that they might want to develop and help them identify opportunities to grow those skills. That's so important, right? Because I think sometimes we have a tendency to ask these yes or no questions. And so like, you know, we've even asked members of our team who do have kids, like, are you having challenges around homeschooling or navigating like what happens if your child is in a classroom where someone tests positive for COVID and all of a sudden they're home? But those are yes or no questions. And so their stressor might not be the kids and the childcare issue. It might be be just, yeah, everything else that's going on in the world. So that idea of asking it as an open-ended question, what are the obstacles, gives them the chance to voice them and things that you might not have even realized that they were kind of filing away and being such issues for them. Exactly. We're going to take a quick break to hear from some of our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll keep talking about fulfillment and performance at work. Get it right every time. Text Expander makes it easy to give your team the right words for every situation. Whether you need to keep legal happy or delight customers with effective answers, you can rest easy knowing your team has it covered. The latest version of Text Expander even has new and improved statistics reporting for organizations, including the ability to build reports with customizable date ranges for enterprise and individuals, so you can track how much time your team saves. 
With Text Expander, you can keep your team consistent, accurate, and current, work faster and smarter, keep the whole team communicating efficiently and with consistent language, and share your snippets of messaging, signatures, and descriptions with everyone who works on projects with you. Text Expander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And Lawyerist podcast listeners get 20% off their first year by visiting textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more. Support for today's episode comes from Back Office Betty's, the only virtual receptionist service exclusively dedicated to small law firms that offers a plan with unlimited calls. Their highly specialized service boasts customized call handling, relentlessly friendly team members, and unmatched quality. The Bettys are ready to help you grow your firm, even when you're out of the office. Visit backofficebettys.com slash lawyerist to try them out for one week free. Use the promo code podcast to receive $150 off your first month. Trust the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, LawPay, as the ability to accept payments online becomes an increasingly essential part of your practice, LawPay provides your firm with a proven and trusted solution. With LawPay, you receive a simple, secure way to accept client credit cards and e-check payments from anywhere. LawPay understands the unique compliance requirements placed on attorneys, which is why their solution was developed specifically to correctly separate earned and unearned fees and protect IOLTA accounts from any third-party debiting, giving you peace of mind that your transactions are always handled correctly. To learn more or to get started, visit lawpay.com lawyerist today. Okay, we're back. So now that we know what tends to contribute to engaged and fulfilled employees and leaders, what is the connection between performance at work and that level of fulfillment? It's a great question. So there's actually two types of performance. There's one that's called tactical performance. So tactical performance is essentially successfully executing a plan exactly how it's been laid out. It's when you're following a process, a protocol, or a best practice, exactly how it's been suggested. And tactical performance is important because these processes or best practices were created for a reason. They're proven strategies that have produced desired results. But what about when there isn't always a clear process to follow or when something changes in our environment and we're not so familiar with how to proceed, like what we've all been dealing with lately, like with COVID, so many things going on. So these changes in our environment and situations may require us to try something new or unfamiliar or different than what we've done before. And there might not be a known path. So in these situations, adaptive performance is necessary. And that's the other kind of performance. Now, adaptive performance is when you successfully diverge from a plan. It's when you're able to experiment, create and innovate when you try something new and out of the box or out of your comfort zone. Now, if there's one thing we know about the world today, it's that the only constant is change. So we have to learn how to balance the tactical and adaptive performance. Now, the research that I did and the studies have shown that the more degrees of freedom we have to have adaptive performance, the more that our companies and our managers tell us, this is the result we want, but how you get there is for you to explore, for you to experiment, for you to innovate with that's when the fulfillment comes into place. Because suddenly we get to play, we get to try new things, we get to grow our skills. We're not just you know, following a script or a process. And so I think that's what's the correlation there. It's 
these times do require adaptive performance and giving your people the freedom, you know, the guidance they need to have the confidence, but also the freedom to try new things and come up with new solutions to old problems. That's what's really going to lead to more fulfillment. So speaking of that adaptability, how do we better manage competing priorities with work and life? Because they're now happening in the same location. Yes. So the key here is to renegotiate agreements. And what I mean by that is all relationships have their agreements, whether it's the agreement with your spouse that they take out the garbage every day, the agreement with your boss that you know, if they send an email on a Sunday, you're going to respond immediately. And some of these are unspoken, right? Some of these are agreements that were created a long time ago that we didn't even say with words. And we maybe there are assumptions as well. So the key is to really examine these unspoken agreements that we think we have with people in our lives that dictate how we perform, the responsibilities we have, the behaviors that we act out, and see, you know, who am I protecting by continuing to make decisions and take actions based on these agreements that I think I have and kind of listing them out and saying like, with the significant people in my life, what agreements do we have about the way work gets done, the way tasks gets done, et cetera. And are there any agreements that we can renegotiate and say, you know, my assumption is that this is the way X, Y, Z works. Is that your assumption? I'd like to renegotiate kind of the terms of this. And it sounds kind of um, clinical, but it's not. It's really um, bringing things up to the surface that honestly may not work in this current environment, especially working from home. So it might be a conversation with your boss or your spouse, but say like, hey, I know like typically or traditionally we've worked in this specific way. And I'd like to discuss if that is still serving us or not and how we might change it to make it better or benefit both of us. I love that. Those sort of short-term pivots that you had to make to go remote or even realizing that the benefits of working remotely outweigh the cons doesn't mean you have to just do it because you had to set it up in a hurry. You really have to kind of renegotiate some of these agreements and think about it. I feel like it's hard sometimes for everyone to stay focused on work when there's so much uncertainty going on. Do you have tips around that? Absolutely. There is so much uncertainty and oftentimes it makes us feel out of control, uh, like we don't know what to do. But when we convince ourselves that everything's out of our control, we kind of disempower ourselves. We tell ourselves that we don't need to take action or be brave because we're not sure what to do yet. And a great way to get clarity on what you do know is to write whatever it is you do know regarding a specific area of your life that might be feeling uneasy for you. And I do this exercise often where I say, oh, what's what's the decision I need to make? I feel like there's so much out of my control that's dependent on other people. And I'll ground myself and I'll say, okay, what do I know? I know that, let's say I'm assessing a part of my work, or if I want to take a new role on my team, I might say, okay, shit. I know for sure that I like the strategic part of my work more than the analytical part. I know for sure that I could learn a lot from this new manager and team. I know for sure that blah, blah, blah. And I start each sentence with what I do know. And suddenly you'll have this list of things that you do know, and you'll be so much more grounded and empowered with what next best decision to make instead of feeling like, oh, I don't know what to do. Therefore, I'm just not going to do anything. So it's a small exercise and I call it declare what you know. And this exercise is 
is in my book as well. And it just takes people through these simple steps to feel more empowered and help them make the next best decision. That's really powerful. So the inertia of daily life is one of the biggest challenges that I feel like remote workers experience. I mean, there's less of a you know, disconnect. Like when you leave the home and go to an office, there's a very clear punctuation of like, I'm in my car, I'm driving or I'm walking, I'm biking to another location. And when you work from home, it feels like that inertia of daily life can make it really difficult to perform at your best. So how do you stay motivated knowing that? Absolutely. So the first step is you want to assess your routines that you're doing in, in your in your work, in your life, whatever it is that you're feeling the inertia of like, oh, I'm just going through the motions and I don't even know why I do this anymore. So kind of, okay, what are those routines? What are those patterns or habits that I tend to do? And it could be work-wise, it could be um, exercise, it could be in your life, it could be whatever uh, category you choose. So you want to list them out first. And then the next is you want to choose a single routine that you think might be unproductive or no longer aligned with your goals because it's not really serving the goals that you've recreated for yourself. So you want to choose some of those and decide which of these are worth to change and kind of create new, new rules around them. You know, how is this serving me? How do I want it to serve me? What might be a, a new routine that might be more beneficial for me? And um, it's challenging to change our routines, right? Because like we said, that inertia of daily life just keeps us going. Um, so we have to create these like small catalysts to help us think differently. And, you know, I give you a small example. Like if I take a certain path to get my coffee in the morning, you know, I do it without thinking, right? You walk, okay, I make a right, then I make a left, then I make another right and I'm there. And just this small change of, you know what, today I'm going to make a left first. And then suddenly you'll be amazed But oh, I discovered this new little yoga studio I never knew existed. Oh, there's a new uh, dry cleaners here or whatever it might be. So it's amazing how small tweaks to these routines that we've done for so long without thinking can open our mind to different possibilities and get us out of our comfort zones and kind of reinvigorate us in ways that we didn't think were possible. Those little changes can make a world of difference. So what is the best way for someone to develop their skills while they're working remotely? We, you know, the importance of reskilling and upskilling can't really be overstated, especially with the fast pace of technology. So how do we stay on top of that and continue to develop as people and as workers? One principle of knowledge acquisition and skill acquisition that I've taught a lot to employees and organizations I've worked at is the 70-20-10 principle. And what that means is that 70% of the way we learn and acquire knowledge is through experiences. It's through on-the-job practice. It's for new and challenging experiences, actually doing it. Like they say, practice makes perfect, right? So I'll come back around to it, but that's the 70% is, is learning through doing. The 20% of how we learn is called social learning. So this is through getting feedback and coaching and mentorship and observing others. It's kind of through our communities and our networks and mentoring. And then 10% of the way that we learn acquire skills is formal learning. And that's the online courses and programs and degrees and things like that. So when we want to develop a skill, we want to think holistically about how we're going to develop that skill. Being home and being remote I mean, we have access to all of that online learning, which falls to that 10%, which is fantastic and is definitely going to help us. However, we also don't want to forget about that 70 and 20% of learning by doing and then learning from others. So to give a really small example, let's say I want to develop advanced Excel skills. 
So I would think, okay, what is the 70-20 plan to develop that skill? So the 70% would be learning from doing. So I need to actually like work on some complicated, let's say financial modeling project in Excel to help me practice doing it. So I learned through the doing. The 20% of learning from others might be Um, who's an expert in Excel that I know that could give me feedback on this financial model I created? Or could I watch someone else work on it and observe them and and, uh, share ideas and get feedback from them? And then the 10% of learning uh, formally would be, is there an online Excel course I could take to advance those skills and round it out? So that's kind of the holistic view of how to think about learning a skill. And I feel like that gets into this idea of what do you want to learn? Where would you like to become stronger? What new things are appealing to you? So what is the best way that people can focus on doing more of the work they enjoy and less of the things that really aren't a fit or that they don't enjoy? Great question. So you really want to consider what kind of work gives you the most energy. And sometimes we tend to think about what we're good at to think about what we should continue to do. But just because we're good at something, (laughs) it doesn't mean that we enjoy doing it. And it's a really important distinction because you might be excellent at um, number crunching, but if you hate being an accountant, then that's not the path for you. So you really want to consider what parts of my work give you the most energy. So you might want to think back Um, And you can think back to previous, even previous organizations you've worked at and think, okay, what jobs or projects have I enjoyed the most and why? What types of work gets me the most excited? What challenges do I love solving? And sometimes we might want to ask other people, like even like a spouse or a coworker, when have you seen me the most enthusiastic or energized about my work? What was I doing? What was I working on? When have you seen me perform at my best? And again, make sure that they're not telling you, oh, you're so good at this. (laughs) The question is, when have you seen me just like come home and say, oh, today was the best day. I got to do this. I got to do that, you know? And so those are the kinds of answers you want. And so really assessing those things is going to help you understand what it is you want to do more of. And then, like you said, once you can identify what it is you want to do more of, you might say, okay, these aren't the things I'm the best at, but I know that my enthusiasm, my energy for it is going to help me develop the skills I need to be the best I can be. So many good tools that we've talked about, both to be more engaged with your own work, but also to be aware of it with your employees and to connect more with what everyone really wants and needs to be doing so that they feel fulfilled at work. Sarah, I learned a lot. Where can our listeners go to learn more about your work? This was a great conversation. Thank you, Laura. The listeners can go to sarahaviram.com. So S-A-R-A-H-A-V-I-R-A-M.com. And they can find out a lot about what I do there. I do a lot of speaking engagements for different organizations. And I also offer online courses for individual employees and remote workers. Uh, And if anyone wants to dive into the exercises and the steps I talked about today, if they go to sarahaviram.com slash book, there's a free workbook that anyone can download. It's an accompaniment to my book called Remotivation, The Remote Worker's Ultimate Guide to Life-Changing Fulfillment that was just published in June. So it's a free accompaniment to the book. You don't even have to buy the book to get the free workbook. Um, But obviously the book is going to give you more context you need to answer all the questions. But I encourage you to download the workbook and get the book and reach out through my website for any questions. Excited to check out those resources. Thanks so much. Thank you, Laura. Appreciate it. 
The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Christopher Eng. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com slash community slash lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by their participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Mm-hmm.